Let's go ahead and bow as we open the word. We'll be in Ephesians 2. Lord, we just thank for this opportunity to, to bring your word and to see what you would have us to learn from it. We thank you for how much you love us and that you give that love that we will show love to one another. And we ask that you just light, guide and lead in all that we do and say today. In your son's name, amen. All right, Ephesians 2. We're going to go back to verse 15 just for a little bit of... Uh, context and what we're looking at today. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance for to make of himself the twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we also are built together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So we're going to be looking at 19 through 22 today. And it says, Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the his household of God. Paul is really bringing out how, especially for us as Gentiles, that we were estranged from God. But he's also, as you remember from last week, he pointed out that the Jews weren't any better off if they didn't actually truly believe. And that's what he said, those who were near and those who were far. He's saying both Jews and Gentiles <laughs> needed the message. And then he goes, but you as Gentiles are brought in to the citizenry of heaven. We have a new home. And this is something we've got to grab hold of. We live in this world, but we are not citizens of this world if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are citizens of heaven. And this is where we have trouble all the time as Christians because the world has a way of thinking that doesn't match the way that we think as Christians. And we as Christians need to get into the Word so that we can change our thinking to match where our citizenship is. And we, and we bring that up. If, if you've ever done any traveling or anything, you know that each country has a different way of thinking about who they are, how they fit into the world. Usually, if you look at their maps, they're the center of the world no matter where they're at. <laughs> And we do the same thing in America. Every map we look at in America has America <laughs> sitting in the map and on either side is the rest of the world. <laughs> well, if you're in Europe, it puts Europe in the center and, and you know, they, they, they think of themselves first. We as Christians need to be thinking about, we have a home. We're not, we are just pilgrims here, as it says. We are not living here as our home. And that means we should not feel comfortable in this world. And if you've ever tried to walk with God and share God with people, you know how uncomfortable it can be to have a different way of thinking. You know, the world will tell you, well, you know, a little lie is okay. You know, and most people lie to each other all the time in some little ways. And the scriptures tell us that we are to be truthful. Our yea is to be yea, our nay is to be yea. We shouldn't need to swear on anything because when we say something, it should be true. Now we all know as we walk that that's not always the case. But God is saying, we have a different way of thinking. 
We as Christians look at marriage and we look at it the way God says. It's between a man and a woman. End of story. And if you want to follow the scriptures, adultery is the only reason for a divorce. And it's not a mandatory reason for a divorce. It's just the only reason that is allowable. And the world says, well, if you just don't get along, break up. It's no big deal. And the world is different, and, we, and we're starting to see the chaos of the world's teaching of destroyed lives. And the world's way of thinking will destroy life. And it looks good. The world's way of thinking looks good up front. You know, I'm not happy. If I get rid of this person, I'll be happy. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out that way. And God says, just stick together. It's amazing. For anybody who stayed together for a long time in marriage, they realize there's those ups and downs, those times when you really love each other, and those times when you kind of wonder why you're together. Okay? But God just says, stick it out. Stick it out. He tells us not to commit fornication. Some last stats I read said somewhere between 45 or 50% of all Americans are living together without being married you know, in violation of God's standards. When we look at this, God's saying, you are citizens of heaven. You need to think in God's way. And you know, when you get into God's word, all of a sudden you start realizing how we don't think in God's truth. Now, the longer you start studying it, the longer you start reading his word, the more you start thinking like he does. But you need to study it to really get the full effect. And he's saying, we are in a new citizenship. Our mind is to be on heaven. And this takes us into all kinds of different issues because we look at pain. The world likes to say that pain is a terrible thing and it, it can't be used. And it's, you know, God is not going to allow it. Uh, for years, the religions say that if you're in pain, you've sinned. <laughs> and yet God says, just bear it. He's got a reason for it. Emotional pain, physical pain. And how many times have you gone through something and then five, ten years later found out that it was, you went through it so that you could help somebody else who went through it? And at the time, you're going, God, this doesn't make any sense. I don't want, to, I don't want any part of this. It's, I don't see how it can be any good. And God just says, wait. Wait and see what happens. And sometimes we just, is our dedication to serve God through pain. You know, how many times have you seen somebody go through something and, they're, and they know that they're in pain and yet they serve God? And you look at them and say, that's faith. That's, that's dedication. Hopefully, you've been the one that people have looked that way. <laughs> you know, I, but I do know a lot of people, the first time they have a sign of pain, they kind of just curl up in a ball and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And I'm not saying pain is fun. <laughs> I know that it's not fun. It, it's, it, it is not something you want to go through. And yet, God will use it. He uses it in many ways because he says, I am the one. And we've said this before, the, the statement I heard months ago, God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything. <laughs> okay? When I'm going through bad, hard times, if I knew everything in the future, I would say, oh, this is exactly what I need to be doing. It may hurt now, but it's going to be blessing in the future. And God knows everything. And this is one of the wonderful things I, I like about God is that he knows everything. And we've talked about it. The word you'll never hear from God is, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> you just surprised me. <laughs> he knows everything already. There's no surprises for God. 
He knows when we're going to do things right. He knows when we're going to do things wrong. And he already knows both sides of it. He knows how he's going to use either direction. But we are citizens of heaven. Our mindset has to be different. Our actions need to be different. When you send an ambassador, I don't know if you've ever met an ambassador, but I have met two ambassadors. And when they go overseas, they represent their country. They, they, they are to represent where they live and, and how they, and everything they do. We in, in Corinthians are told that we are his ambassadors here on earth. Everything we do tells people what it's like to be a Christian, <laughs> what it's like to have our minds set on heaven. And if we're just like the rest of the world, we're telling them there's no difference. There's nothing different. And I've, I've met a number of people, and you all have met people that live as if they're the world. They're not, they don't stand out as a Christian. They don't stand out as a Christian and say, there's something different about this person. I know they say they're a Christian, but I don't see why being a Christian is this big deal. Hopefully you've been in the place where people come up and go, why are you at peace? Why, how can you go through this hard time? You're showing that there's a difference being a Christian. I used to have that comment all the time when I was at work and pressure would come up and I'd be smiling and, and, and happy and they're going, how can you be happy about this? I go, well, I'm not happy about this. I'm happy that I'm God's son, child. You know, and trying to frame their mind, of, it's different. I'm not happy because of the pain. I'm not happy because of the pressure. I'm happy that God's in control and I'm his child. And I don't have to worry about it. When it's time to go home, it doesn't matter what I'm feeling to do to try to keep from going home, I'm going home. And I don't want to get there quicker. <laughs> I'm not going to go out there and try to get, get there quickly. But I'm also not worried when I come into situations and, and talking to people because, as I've shared this with you, when I was a teenager, I told everybody the worst they could do to me was almost kill me. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And that's really the truth of a Christian life. If you're a Christian and they kill you, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> They've done you the greatest favor they could do to you. To hurt you means that you have to suffer. And then we go back to the, the apostles' decision statement that they kept making. We praise God that he found us worthy of suffering for him. <laughs> you know, do we see how the Christian view looks at suffering? Okay, God, I'm not happy I'm suffering, but I'm, thank you that I'm, you found me worthy of suffering. That you found me worthy of growing and showing you through the midst of all this. The, the disciples would never have gone, kept going back to the temple every day after they got beat and go back to the temple as soon as they were released if they didn't have that attitude of, thank God, I'm worthy. He's, he's finding me worthy. And when we talk about beating, in their case, they were beat. You know, the, the flagellum beating them, seven strands beating them with every strike. And then they'd go get washed up and go right back to the temple the next day. Because they were bringing God to the people. They had their mind set on the heavenly. And their mind was, the greatest thing you can do is send us home. <laughs> we need those mentalities. We need the mentality that God is in charge. I don't need the stimulants that the world has. I don't need to get into drugs and alcohol and all these other things to try to numb the pain because God is the one that will help me through it because he is allowing it. And we are his citizenship, his people. Why are we his people? In verse 20, we are built upon a foundation of the apostles, 
and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And foundation here literally means a new system of truth. Okay? We as Christians live under a whole new way of thinking. We think differently about pain. We think differently about death. We think differently about marriage. We think differently about fellowshipping with people. We feel differently about how to deal with people when they wrong us. If we're having a Christian viewpoint, the flesh, when it's wrong, says, okay, let me at him. I want to tear him limb from limb. And if you're not being that physical, okay, let me at them. I'm going to make sure that they pay, and they're going to pay, pay really good for what they did to me. I'm going to make their life miserable. And God says, forgive them. Forgive them. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? Peter thought he was being very generous. Okay, God, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them seven times. That's a good number. That's a, that's a number of completion. I, I'll, I'll forgive them seven times. And what was Jesus' answer? 70 times 7. And he wasn't saying 490 times. <laughs> he was saying, just keep forgiving them. Don't keep count. Do we do that with people? Do we forgive them when they wrong us? Or do we kind of keep the score? Okay, I forgive them this time, but man, next time. Uh, and have we even forgiven them sometimes? Have you ever had somebody wrong you and you go, okay, you did that two weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago. You know, sometimes husbands and wives do that with each other. You know, I forgave you, but uh, you know, this is about the hundredth time you've done this in, 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 our, in our time together. You know, you've got to stop. I don't believe they've forgiven at that point. Jesus says forgiveness. And we treat them as if they have not done it. And I've shared you with you, one of the great words I like in the, in the scriptures is forbearance. And forbearance means to give up my right to require punishment. Okay, you hurt me. I have the right to say you should be punished. But when I forbear, God, I'm going to forgive them. I'm not going to make them have to pay. That is what Jesus has done for us. When he went to the cross, he died for our sins. He put them under the blood. And the Father says, okay, they're gone. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to punish you because they've been covered, they're forgiven. They've been under the blood. If we start looking, number one, at ourselves, one of the things I keep hearing from people is they can't forgive themselves. We need to, because unforgiveness brings bitterness. And I've heard it over and over where people say, I just, I just get so condemned because I do this and I just can't get victory over it. Put it under the blood. Ask Jesus to put it under the blood to help you to forgive it and forget it and go forward because he says that we are perfect. First part of salvation is justification. Once we come to him, God on the throne of heaven says, you're perfect. Can you imagine that? The Father in heaven says, this is my perfect child. Satan goes up to God and he says, I just want to talk to you about uh, Ralph Wells down there. And God says, well, what do you want to talk to him? Uh, well, he did this under the blood forgiven. <laughs> he did this under the blood forgiven. Does that mean there's no consequences? We've talked about that there are consequences for sin. But it isn't hell. It isn't God being unhappy with us. It isn't God saying, you're, you're terrible. I can't use you. The greatest news is that when God saves people, they're ready to be used. <laughs> 
And if you haven't read any kind of biographies, I challenge you, read some of the biographies of people who got saved and all of a sudden got into ministry and, and, and really worked for God. Because it is amazing. God can take the, the lowest piece of trash out there, <laughs> cleanse it with his blood, and say, go for it. <laughs> you have my power to witness. You have my power to share the gospel. Don't let Satan tell you that you're worthless, that you're a nobody. Because in God's eyes, you're not. Don't let the world tell you this. Because in God's eyes, you're not. We sang, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Our, our job as Christians is to love one another, to build one another up, not tear people down. I, I don't like it when I hear somebody say, well, if you really knew this person, you wouldn't be able to, to accept. No, God says their sins are forgiven, they're under the blood. We can't do anything good anyway without God. No matter how good we might think we are, we can't do good without God. It's anything that we do good is because of him. Because the flesh does not like to do good. You know, we, and we can prove it to you. There's somebody smack you upside the head, and the first thing you're going to do is want to smack them back, isn't it? That's the first thing your flesh wants to do. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. Now you may say, well, I'm not strong enough to, but you're going to find some way, that your, your mind's already thinking, I'm going to find some way to get back at them. That's the flesh. The flesh will tell lies. Why? Not because they're, they're trying to, but it says, well, if I put it off long enough, maybe, maybe they'll believe it and, and leave me alone. I won't get in trouble. You know, I remember the kids, you know, they get into the chocolate chip cookies or something. Did you get into the cookies? <laughs> chocolate chips rubbed all over their face. Nope, didn't touch the cookies. God knows when we've sinned. God knows what we've done wrong. We just need to say, God, I've done it, and confess our sins. And confession is to say the same thing as. God says it is a sin. We need to say the same thing that God says. I sinned. Not, I sinned and this is the reason and try to put an excuse on it. You know, you've probably done that yourself or know people who've tried to do that to you. Well, I sinned, but they really riled me up. So, I mean, I, I had a reason to do this. No, it was a sin. Stop at the sin and just say, it was sin. We have this habit of wanting to justify ourselves because that's what the flesh wants to do, justify ourselves. The flesh wants to try to earn salvation and God says it's a free gift. Jesus died for you and it's a gift, just take it. And again, it's the whole idea. We are citizens of a different world. We think differently, we should act differently. And that's when you know that somebody's a Christian. When they start acting like God acts and wants us to act and you're going, there's something different about this person, especially if it's consistent. It's one thing that somebody can be nice for a short time when they're trying to get something or makes people look at them, but you watch somebody over a period of months or years and you see this consistency in their life, you go, that person has something different. There's something different about that person. They walk by a different set of rules. They walk by a different set of thoughts. And they watch you. Does it mean we won't fail? No, unfortunately, we all know we fail. But you know, part of that is when we bounce right back to God and get forgiveness and continue living, that impresses people too. Because they say, wow, this is a God that I want. Because if you're, if you're following any other religion and you fail, you've got you've to work real hard to be good to make up for all those failures. And you never know whether you've done enough. The world is based upon works. And God says, by grace, 
by grace, it's a gift. That makes Christianity a very easy road to walk because it's grace. All I've got to do is say, God, take my flesh out and, and live through me. The flesh doesn't like that prayer. The flesh doesn't like that prayer of being crucified. But God lives through us. The Christian walk is an easy walk in, in its reality when it's done right. Probably the hardest walk if you're trying to do it yourself. If you're trying to love people, trying to be forgiving, forgiving without God, you're not going to make it. It's going to be a very difficult place to be. And we want to be able to look at that. And what foundation are we built on? Is laid by the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. And most, most Christians kind of spend all their time in the New Testament and they never know what the prophets say. But the, I love the Old Testament. I love teaching the Old Testament because God's mercy and grace is so full in the Old Testament. And you see what he, what he told people. He told the, the, the Jews that the Gentiles are going to be part of the kingdom. <laughs> and they ignored those parts. <laughs> they ignored those parts. They, he, they were told that the Messiah would suffer and die and be resurrected. They ignored those parts. But you know, we as Christians aren't any better a lot of times. We go reading through the Bible and say, well, God, I really don't like that part, so I'm going to ignore it. I, I don't think I want this idea of suffering that you found us worthy of suffering, so I'm just going to ignore it. Suffering's bad, and I'm just going to keep that mentality. We get in God's word and we say, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. Dr. McGee on the, through the Bible used to say that where he and God disagrees, God was correct. <laughs> you know, and it's a very true statement. I can tell you, I struggle with a lot of parts in the Bible, even after 44 years of studying it. There's parts where I look at it and say, God, I, don't, I just have a hard time with this. But you said it, <laughs> and I'm going to believe it. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. You know, how many people... Even Christians try to put together their own religious views. Like this, don't like this. Like this, don't like this. You know, and they, they make this list of all the stuff they like. And for non-Christians, they'll also go, they'll get into the Christian Bible, then they'll get into the Quran, and they'll get into the Buddhist, and the, all these different things, and they'll say, well, I like these parts, and they, and they create their own personalized religion. How would you like to try to be going someplace Okay, I'm going to tell you, I want you to go to uh, Jacksonville, Mississippi, but you get to make up your own, your own map without, <laughs> without having any real sources. <laughs> Just go out and find what you like and, and make your map. What are the chances of you getting to Jacksonville? <laughs> the slim to none. <laughs> and yet people will come to to the religion and they go, well, I like this, I like this, I don't like this, I, I like this, and make up their own religion and expect to reach heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one could, comes to the Father except through me. And that's very narrow and people don't like it, but it is the way it is. He died for our sins. He is the only way to heaven. If there was any other way to get to heaven, then he wasted his time by dying for us. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. God says that our, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. All the good that we can do, God looks at it and says, it's just a pile of, pile of stinky rags. 
And there are going to be millions and billions of people going to stand before God at the white throne judgment saying, here I am, here's my, here's my whoops, or rags. I thought they were better when I was earning them. And they're going to stand before him in rags and say, let me into heaven. Look at all the good that I've done. I've told people God has a dress code. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness. If you don't have his righteousness on you, you're rejected. We go peer before him with his righteousness on us. He says, welcome, my child. Come on in. And then we'll stand before Jesus at the Bema seat and have our, have our works judged. And even there, anything I have done in the flesh gets burnt up. Anything I have let him work through me, I get rewarded for. And I've shared with you, I love God's plan. He does the work and I get the rewards. <laughs> you know, how many of you have ever been to a job where somebody else did the work for you and you got the paycheck? I haven't been to one of those. <laughs> Yet God's way is he does the work and we get the, we get the pay. We get the rewards for letting him work through us. It's a pretty amazing, amazing way to think because he thinks so differently than we do. And then Jesus is the cornerstone and says, In him all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple and grows in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an inhabitation of God for the Spirit. We are the temple of God. I looked up a number of verses, but we won't give them right now. But we are the temple of God. He dwells in us. Have you ever thought about that? God dwells in you. Jesus dwells in you, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The fullness of the Godhead is in us. That's a lot of power if we'll just let him take it. And he says, he's the one that builds us in. He's the one that fits us together. And I've said this, every church has a group of people that God is saying, I'm fitting you together. The true church needs every part of it. Because one person can't do everything. And it's just impossible. You know, when we wanted to do Samaritan's Purse uh, Operation Christmas Child, Cal and Sandal stood up and said, yes, we want to take the lead. Because as I told you, I, I thought it was a great program, but I couldn't do another... <laughs> Another activity. And you think, well, this is a small church. You should be able to do everything. Well, I'm sorry. I'm human like everybody else. <laughs> you know, and we need people who are going to step up and say, God has impressed me that this needs to be done. And I'll give anybody that wants to start something all the help they need to get it started. <laughs> because I have seen some very weird operations that people have, have said, God told me to do this. And I shared with you all before, Back east, there was this guy who said he wanted to start a Bible study at the airport. And everybody laughed at him when he first said it, except the pastor said, okay, go for it. He came back with reports of salvations every week. People getting saved because of his Bible study at the airport. You know, there's, no, there's no mission that is too crazy to be able to say, okay, let's get started with it. And I'm the one that if you tell me the church should be doing this, I'm going to go, okay, let's help you get it started. Because if God gave it to you, you've got the heart to want to do something with it. And if there's any way we can do it, we're going to help you get it done. Because the church is to reach out for Christ with the gospel, with the message of Christ. How we can do it? Oh, who knows how many different ways there are to do it. God can use the strangest ways of coming up with the gospel and presenting the gospel. And we look at the different 
you know, different stories out there of how people have been ministered to. One of the stories I like in Fox's Book of Martyr, a father and son is in jail, getting ready, in prison, getting ready to be burnt at the stake. And they make a pact that when you're burned, you're the first one, you know, when you're there and you see God, praise him and let me know that you're seeing him. And the father says, I don't know if I have enough strength. And the son, well, that's okay. God will take me first. The son got to go first. And he raised his hand and started singing hymns in the midst of the fire, giving his father the strength to be able to go forward with the martyrdom. And you go, well, that's, a, you know, that's kind of silly, but you know what? It's still ministered to people. Those watching saw a very strong, committed Christian life. Because you don't give your life for something you don't believe. Now, you may believe a lie completely but, and, and give your life, but you don't ever give your life for something that you don't believe. And we as Christians will, should be ready to give our life. Now, does that mean that we can? Well, if we're in the spirit at the time it happens, yes, we will. God will give us the grace to go through whatever we have to go through. Does it mean that I know that I can before that? Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, sometimes I talk to people and they go, well, you haven't studied that. And I go, well, it's never been on the forefront of my mind, so I've never really thought about that particular verse or that. Or that. But let me go back and do some checking. But when I get to it, God gives me the grace and the understanding to, under, to understand it, and it's time to teach it. It'll be ready to go. God gives us what we need when we need it, and not before. He's not going to give you the strength to go preach before a million people if, if you're afraid to go stand up in front of 10. If you can't stand up in front of 10 and, and trust him for that, there's no way he's going to give you the power and strength to go stand in front of hundreds and thousands and millions. He's going to stair-step you up there and say, do you have enough faith to walk in where you're at? And we look at sometimes, well, God, it really wasn't that big a deal. It was a very small test. I did fail it, but you know, it wasn't that big a deal. And God says, little things. <laughs> little things. When I first started teaching, it was in front of only about six kids. And it's grown over those years. But we learn. We learn through small steps. We learn by being faithful in the small things. And he says, okay, you've, you've, you've been faithful. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. I've met lots of Christians who they're going, well, God, if you uh, put me in front of hundreds of people, I'll, I'll, I'll preach for you. And God's going, what about your neighbor? What about this neighbor that you've never told the gospel to? Well, God, that's just, that's just one person. Put me in front of hundreds. And God's going to say, no. Be faithful in little. And you will be given much. And we need to take those little things that God puts in front of us. Those times when we were standing in line at the grocery store and the cashier's uh, cash register went out and we're standing there and everybody's grumbling and complaining. Have you ever took it, take, taken a moment and saying, you know what? This is, God is so great. He's given me an opportunity to share the gospel with you. Let me tell you about Jesus. I've done that. I can guarantee you, whatever line I'm in, it's the, it's the slowest line. <laughs> Always. So I've learned to try to talk to people a little bit, at least encourage them. You know, have you gone, you know, do you go to church? Do you know God? Try to talk to them. But we start, we open our mouth, and God fills it with, with words. Or we say, well, God, I'm just so afraid. I can't, I can't afford to do this. I'm just really nervous. What if I say the wrong things? And God's saying, it's his spirit. He'll, he'll work it out. Sometimes you say the wrong things, and they don't hear what you said. <laughs> they hear what the spirit teaches. 
That's pretty amazing. You, you know how many times somebody's come up to me and went, when you taught that lesson and you said such and such, and I'm going, did I say that? <laughs> you know, did I really say what they, just, what they told me they heard? <laughs> now, I may or may not have, but I don't remember saying it. But God is very good about making sure they hear the right, the right things. So be bold. Speak. I mean, study, learn. <laughs> don't go out just to be, be silly and see how, how, how many things you can do wrong, but, but learn. The gospel is really simple. We are sinners. <laughs> we deserve punishment. Jesus paid for it, and all we got to do is accept that, puni- that, pay- that payment. Four points to the gospel. You can give the gospel to people in 30 seconds. You can be a commando, hit and run. Run up to them, give them the gospel, and run away. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, but you go out and you give the gospel. And you share that gospel, because it is the good news. There are millions of people going to hell because they don't hear the gospel message. There are millions of people in Mojave County, or at least thousands of people here in Mojave County, that entered into eternity probably in the last week, many of which didn't know God, and are in hell. How many of your family members have entered into eternity without you having shared the gospel with them? I can't imagine that being the case. But yet I know many people who have that as a situation that they have not shared with their family. They have not shared with their neighbors. They have not shared with their friends because they don't want to look like a fanatic for God. You know, they know that you go to church, but you, but, but you won't speak about God. You know, pretty amazing in my neighborhood, especially with my son. He talked to everybody all <laughs> over the place for three blocks on all directions and, and invited them to church, gave them the gospel. You know, they, you know, and I would end up following up and sharing with them. But you know, the biggest question I have, do your neighbors know that you are a Christian, that you live a different life? For some of you, I know that that's true. For some, I don't know. That's between you and God. Do your neighbors know? Do your neighbors know how to get to heaven? Have you shared that with them? Or are you going to let them just depend on their works or their, their made-up religion that they're following? Because a made-up religion is going to end up in hell. We need to share that with them. And that's what it means to be fitly joined together, the temple of God, ministering to God. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and that you care for us, that you have made us in a new kingdom. Lord, we ask that you give us all the strength to be able to share you with others. Give us the umption to go out and share your, your love with others, your gospel with others. And Lord, where we're fearful of being looking like a fanatic or a fool, we ask that you help overcome that. Crucify that feeling. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that they come before you right now. In a simple prayer, like I said, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. You paid for it. Come into my life. If you really, truly believe those words and say them, you're saved. You're a Christian. And we can get you started on a, on a how to follow through with a booklet. But the other thing I want to encourage people, and if you want to say this prayer, ask God, Lord, help me be bold and share the gospel this week. Help me see people that need to come into your kingdom and be one to you. And help me just plant the seeds in those people. In Jesus' name, amen.